Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Poland all these people who are really, they do extremely well with very limited resources and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time of day or night it is, Project Kashmir's listener. Today we're recording out of Krakow in Somerset in England, and we have a very special guest today whose Wikipedia entry writes, John Lucas was educated at Winchester College and Balliol College, Oxford, where he studied first mathematics, then greats, which is Greek, Latin, philosophy and ancient history, uh, obtaining first-class honours. After doing his MA in Oxford in 1954, he spent the 57-58 academic year at Princeton University in the United States, um, and then, uh, before his retirement in 1996, was a fellow and tutor of philosophy at Merton College, Oxford. He's an emeritus member of the University University Faculty of Philosophy and a fellow of the British Academy. And as people may have noticed from his surname, um, it's a great honour for me to record this podcast because John Lucas is also my father. So, um, why do we have a philosopher, a retired philosopher from Oxford University on the Project Kashmir podcast? I I was thinking about this and thought that, amongst other things uh, in his life, uh, my father's been recruiting both academics to teach at Oxford University and also undergraduates to study there. And I thought that recruitment of talent is one of the most important things for any organisation. And so um, I, I did a little bit of an, an introduction, um, Dad. Um, what else would you like people to know about you if they've never met you other than what I read out in the introduction? Oh dear, um, I think, yes, the other thing most important is that I um, was able to study Gödel's theorem and produce an argument against the view that one could have an entirely mechanical view of the mind and um, you could have a robot which would be just as good as a human being. And I was able to say that although quite often you could have robots which would do things better than human beings, there'd always be some things where they would be outclassed by a human mind and the human mind couldn't be adequately represented in purely mechanical terms. Yes, and uh, we, we ha- with each podcast we publish, we have show notes and we'll certainly post a link both to the Wikipedia entry and to the, the, the famous article uh, my father wrote, Minds, Machine and Girdle. Um, so now m- moving on to um, maybe uh, a lot of our listeners uh, are, are younger than you and you, I know you were born in 
1929 and your birthday was recently which makes you 88 years old um when you're looking or were looking for um the right characteristics of someone who might study at Oxford University in the PPE, philosophy, politics and economics. What sort of things were most important were you, when you were interviewing people? Because Oxford's famous for its interview process. What, what were you looking for most of all in a young man or woman to study at, study at Merton? I think the ability to um, have um, new thoughts which were not ones that had just simply been learnt up at school and um, the ability to um, think outside the existing um, <clears throat> the, ex the existing framework and um, see things from a new point of view. Okay, well, and that's that's very concise. And w do you think that, that that ability to see things with fresh eyes is something that people are born with, or it can be learnt, or is it a bit of both? Because quite often we we give advice to people listening about uh, what they should do, and if someone hears that, they might. Uh, how can someone train their train their abilities or acquire that ability to look at things from a new point of view, not just read what other people have said and hear what other people have said? Well, it's a bit of both to a, a, the threefold question you put to the beginning, and it's um, partly um, something which um, some people completely lack, and um, some people comes very naturally. Uh, but um, very often, it's something which can be encouraged and developed. And clearly, if someone's living in a um, uh, either with um, parents or uh, brothers and sisters who are ready to argue with him, then he will um, get get the hang of uh, trying to think of new arguments in order to outwit the argument that's being thrown at him. And I think the, this is something which is very noticeable that it's. Um, very often you can see that it's through having been exposed to these sort of um, fresh uh, insights that makes a person able to um, look for fresh insights himself. And certainly there's a lesson there to learn, which is that if people disagree with you, that's not necessarily being rude or confrontational. It can be extremely, extremely useful. And if you want to have a healthy organisation, be it a university department or a, a, a business or an NGO, NGO, you have to encourage people um, to, to feel safe in disagreeing with you because if everyone's frightened of disagreeing with the boss or the manager or the director, it becomes rather conformist. Well, do, do you think do you think Oxford colleges were good at fostering a climate where people could disagree with each other safely? Yes, and it was very much part of the tutorial process. This is after uh, the, the, the undergraduates have been selected, but then each one will uh, be writing an essay, usually one essay a week, and will then read it to his tutor, and then the tutor um, will um, argue with him, and um, it's... Um, quite largely, I sometimes compared it with a dancing lesson that um, if um, the undergraduate put a, uh, uh, moved one step, the tutor would do a corresponding one. 
um, but all the time um, with um, a strong um, confrontational issue that I would very often um, get an undergraduate to, um, to, to put forward his argument and then I'd take him step by step by step until he found he was um, arguing a manifest absurdity and would have to go back and um, try and see where he'd gone wrong. Uh, but all the time I would be um, confronting him and um, trying to argue, uh, trying to out-argue him in order that he should then get the idea of trying to out-argue me. Yes, so so you're using using tactics and techniques which you want which you want the person you're you're working with or teaching to acquire themselves and set, set in, so in a way setting an example of how to argue. Yes. Yes, and um, we'll still stay on the undergraduate recruitment, the student recruitment process. So what were questions that you used to ask during these famous Oxford interviews of of potential students who are potential undergraduates? What were some of your favourite questions you asked them to try and find out from them or, or to find out during that interview process whether they were suitable? Very often this would actually depend on what had already come out and um, I remember on several occasions um, it would turn out that the um, candidate had got some particular experience and then um, I would go on from that and one I remember very much was someone whose father had been um, um, was the water engineer of um, the, um, the, 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 the Thames Valley water supply. And um, then I um, raised the question about uh, Swindon um, draining water from the um, chalklands and um, he hadn't ever sort of thought about this at all and um, didn't, uh, it didn't occur to him that there was any sort of problem. And that showed that he was um, very, very un, uh, uninquiring, that his father was doing something and there were obvious um, um, problems about this and um, he'd never, um, never asked any questions about it or anything uh, uh, to do with it. He just, uh, um, he just washed over him. Or on another occasion, there was a... a, a um, someone who had been doing geology and so I asked him about the geology of around his school and he could repeat anything that he'd been um, told but was quite unable to um, link uh, the, the gravel around his school with um, any other a bit of uh, this was something he hadn't been taught and so he just didn't, it never occurred to him to wonder why the uh, gravel around his school included bits of Jurassic uh, rock when they were living entirely in a Cretaceous area. And the idea that there must have once upon a time been a river um, from the Cretaceous, from the Jurassic area coming down to the Cretaceous area had never occurred to him. And these are two examples of um, people 
Um, oh, and the third one, I think, yes, um, this was not me. This was um, a, 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 a friend of mine's, um, and she was um, uh, in, in, at the University of Leeds and was looking for uh, people and found that some had bicycled to York. And she thought, oh, that'd be very uh, interesting. And when you got to um, York, what did you do? Well, we bicycled back again. You know, complete um, lack of interest in having a bicycle to York, which was a very interesting town with a whole lot of things to see. Um, never thought that uh, having got to York, she should uh, she could look round it. Now, now she'd been to York, now she just bicycled back. These were sort of three examples of um, manifest lack of curiosity which um, were uh, very strong indicators that the person wasn't suitable for um, Oxford or in other cases, Leeds or anywhere. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to to say that one of the features that people should certainly be looking out for is curiosity, not just understanding, understanding the way things are, but why they are the way things are. And, you know, whether, whether it's in the business community, why, why certain types of businesses cluster in certain areas or why certain types of people or customers behave in certain ways uh, is very important. And that, that kind of curiosity to, sit, to, to think about uh, the reasons why things are the way they are or why why they don't work as well is very important and just uh before we move on to um talking about some of the the institution of the university um I noticed when when I was a child and we were visiting schools, I was quite embarrassed. You'd quite often wander off into the toilets and take a look at the way the way the toilets were organised and whether they were clean or not or graffitied or not. And at the time, I thought that was rather rather a bad idea because it was embarrassing. But um, later on in life, I began to understand why why that might be a good idea. And maybe in your own words, you could say, why was it a good idea to wander into the toilets of an organisation? To and what, what what did it lead you to learn? I think the, the most important thing is you want to have first-hand experience of um, how things are in an institution, not just simply um, listen to what you're told by the um, people who are trying to, as it were, um, sell the institution to you. And, um, and a sort of rather different example I uh, produce is that on one occasion I was um, <clears throat> doing something at Durham University and I'd been put up in the uh, in the castle um, where the, 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 and I got out of the window um, where they're doing some um, some repair work and I got out of the window and then um, went out and um, to, clamped up the scaffolding and talked to some of the uh, people who were actually uh, on the uh, scaffolding um, um, meant to be repairing the walls of the castle. And um, that immediately gave me much more of a sense of um, what their uh, what their loyalties were, what the uh, the way they were being treated, um, how far they identified with the institution, and so on. And um, that's uh, very very good. And um, going back to the lavatory example, I remember um, being able once to. Um, talked to the lavatory cleaner in Merton, my college, and I was able to say that I very much appreciated the fact that, um, thanks to him, whenever I went to the loo, um, it was always sweet and clean and, um, and, uh, and um, 
well cleansed. And it quite obviously meant quite a lot to him that I'd actually said this. He seemed to remember it and so on. And this was, an, again, an important thing, that if you um, go down to the, um, uh, the bottom and um, you can not only get a strong sense of what the institution is like, but you can, um, at a later stage, if you're in charge of the institution, you can do a great deal to um, reinforce the um, local loyalties to the whole, uh, the, 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 the whole big institution. Yes, I, I, th- I think that that's uh, that's very well put. And you know, an, another way of looking at it is that if an organisation can't take care of the very basic things, what does it say about the most important things? That no one would say that a, a school's main purpose is to have clean toilets. But if the people in charge don't care about that, then the, it automatically raises the question of what else don't they care about? Uh, it's rather like a spelling mistake in a business correspondence that you think, well, if people can't be bothered, if they, they might be a lawyer or a, where words are very important, or they might be an engineer, but you think if they can't be bothered to check their spell check their email, then Possibly they, they, they don't care about more important things as well. Um, so um, thinking, we, we talked about um, uh, academic student recruitment and w- was there anything else? We were talk, talk, talking about hiring or recruiting people to be colleagues, to be, to be academics. Was there anything extra beyond what you were looking for in students or was it basically the same thing, people with original ideas? I think there is one further uh, thing, which is that um, if you are looking for colleagues, you um, are looking, um, of course, for curiosity. You want to have people who um, very much want to know the answer, to discover the answer of something. And it um, it might be um, Mexican epigraphy, or it might be um, the uh, um, structure of some uh, um, biochemical um, enzyme, and there are all sorts of different things they might want to know. But the other thing is that they want to share the knowledge and this is very important so that the sort of persona that one's looking for is someone who's both um, curious and wants to know and isn't just simply in it for his own advantage he, um, he's um, much more concerned to, to get the answer than to um, promote his own uh, interest but also um, he wants to um, share this with other people and that becomes very important because that then uh, leads to the commitment to teaching. And one of the great difficulties that we've been having recently is that bureaucrats have um, sometimes concentrated on um, research and thought they must test and make sure people do lots of research and then they find that they aren't um, keen on um, teaching, they don't have any time for teaching, then they have a whole lot of further uh, 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 boxes to tick to try and establish their teaching. And this is to miss the uh, point that the the persona, the personality, should be of one who is um, both um, uh, wanting to um, discover and wanting to tell other people and that, um, that, that 
So that combination is the most important thing for any looking for any potential colleague. So, so both curiosity, but also uh, strong interest in share, sharing knowledge. And um, for many, many years, and there are links to these articles on your personal webpage, which we will we'll of course share in the show notes. You wrote a column for or articles for something called the Oxford Magazine, or the Oxford Mag, which was uh, an unofficial magazine predating the internet um, for, for people who worked or were interested in Oxford University and they, they often were on topics outside your area of professional specialization they weren't about philosophy and um, do you think it's important for people to have interests outside their their professional area of competence? Yes I think one one quite important point is that um, it's very often when you're not trying that the best ideas come to you. And it, uh, the tradition is that it was in his bath that X um, suddenly saw the um, solution to some great um, problem. But it's um, not only in the bath, but it, if you um, um, if you switch off, then. Um, your uh, mind can sort of can rumble on, turning things over, um, without feeling disciplined, without being um, being very focused, and therefore can often pick up unfocused um, clues, and, um, and suddenly um, it's, um, a whole different pattern um, is able to emerge, and you sometimes um, get the really. Um, major um, breakthrough um, while doing something quite quite different and I think it's quite important to uh, give oneself a good deal of um, time off in order to be able to um, uh, as it were, switch on to something quite different. Okay so, so, so the process of writing articles for the Oxford magazine would um uh, which weren't about philosophy would sort of free your mind up to chunter away about things about which were more in line with your professional expertise. Well, I think it was rather more generalised than that. That being, uh, I mean, um, um, being ready to do that and um, getting into arguments about this, that, and the other. Um, then um, did, that left um, freedom for the subconscious to roam. Gave living room for the for, for, for a whole lot of um, unconscious activities, um, which then would um, be able to um, poke up into one's conscious mind. Um, and because uh, a lot of our listeners are in Poland, I think it's appropriate to mention your your colleague from Pembroke College, Oxford, Zbigniew or Spiszek Pelczynski, and the Oxford College's hospitality scheme. Um, and also your work, you went to Prague, I think I remember in the 1980s to talk to the underground university. What, what was your, your interest and your feeling about the need to support academics in, in Poland and Central Eastern Europe in the days of the Soviet bloc? And what, what, are, your, what, what are your main memories of the, the Oxford College's hospitality scheme? And maybe, maybe describe it as well, because not everyone knows about it. Well, there are a whole lot of these, there are a whole lot of rather different things, and um, I uh, um, find it difficult to uh, say what the origin of uh, these um, were. That we, um, one thing which I think would be uh, relevant is that 
on one occasion, um, the, the, a letter arrived for the Faculty of Philosophy from um, Prague, and it was asking uh, for just sort of wanted to establish contact. This came, this came from underground dissidents. And one or two um, people were very uh, thought that this wasn't proper business, but um, I and um, several other people said, "No, we ought to discuss it." And it fairly we we um, found that Kathy Wilkes, a fellow of um, St Hilda's, and um, her father, uh, uh, her father-in-law, was dean of Durham. Um, and so I'd known them, known them from the Durham connection, um, but um, she she uh, volunteered to go and did um, go and started uh, established a connection, and after that there was, there was a, uh, different people came at different times, and I had I think it was partly because I got some sabbatical leave, and um, so I was. Um, um, as it were available to go, and the week before, um, the, um, the, the, they found out, and um, I think it was um, either Bill Newton Smith or Tony Kenny, but had uh, Bill Newton Smith, I think it was, had been um, turned away. He'd be they found that he was coming. He was turned away at the uh, and um, couldn't get through. And that was through the che- Czechoslovak border. He was, yes. they didn't let him into the country. Yes. And so, anyhow, I went and um, was very carefully, uh, we, we, I went um, rather carefully that my daughter Helen, who was, um, I think, about 16 or something at that time, went to London and went to the um, Czech uh, embassy to get a, a, a visa. Um, and um, she didn't tell any lies, but was economical with the truth. And so I was, uh, uh, the purpose of the visit was cultural, which was um, quite quite true. And um, I um, was, um, she described me as, instead of calling university lecturer, which would have alerted the authorities that I was something dangerous, she said I was a don. And um, they didn't know what a don was, but um, they uh, wrote it down. And then I arrived in um, in, in Czechoslovakia and um, got an arrangement that I would be, uh, um, when I came out of the uh, airport, I'd have a large copy of the Times, I think it was, in my pocket. And I was um, duly uh, picked up by t- someone called Tomash and then taken to... Uh, one, uh, it was necessary uh, if one would arrive to go to a suitable hotel and um, a government hotel and arrived at the government hotel and um, then we had an uh, the um, Gauleiter as you might call her, call her the, um, the Communist Party representative and um, and um, <coughs> Uh, looked at me and um, and said, um, uh, 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 asked me, uh, what is a don? And I answered, I explained I was a don, and she didn't know what it was. And then um, I said, parlez-vous uh, parle français? And 
tous les jeunes hommes parlent avec moi et je les écoute, I think is what I said. And uh, she didn't understand. And so then I said, parliamo italiano, tutti i ragazzi. Um, uh, uh, then I think I moved on into German. Alice de Jung is sprachen mit ich. Mit, uh, uh, und ich um, uh, pal, no, something like that. I said, I forgot now what it, what it was. But um, each time um, her um, uh, prestige was falling, that there was this obliging um, uh, uh, foreigner who'd arrived and he was um, um, prepared to speak in any international language, and she obviously didn't understand that. So uh, she, uh, in the end, just simply waved me in, and um, I was um, admitted as a uh, to, uh, as a resident, and um, and I was then able to um, get, meet a whole uh, other um, members of the uh, of the distant um, part here, and um, <coughs> what was uh, um, there was one. Oh yes, now. I don't know quite what the details were. I went to that. Anyhow, I, um, I went to uh, uh, the house um, where the uh, someone was listening to, and we knew that it was bugged. So it, it was just came in and it was written down that Mr. Lu they went in, came to the house and wrote, went into the house, and it was just written down that uh, Mr. Lucas has um, come from Oxford and is outside. And the um, inhabitant was allowed out for one hour a day to take exercise, and he came out, and um, then we um, went into the park, and uh, there was still snow on the ground, but it, it was quite cold, but um, we, the snow was um, melt, mostly melted, and we talked about dangerous things. Um, uh, the, um, yes, I remember now, I um, I'd smuggled in. Um, the, um, the works of Seneca. I think we talked about the Roman philosopher Seneca. And um, when I went through customs, they wanted to look at my baggage, and I had a few things that uh, that I'd written, and uh, they couldn't really object to that. And then a, 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 there was a slow there was a Slovak um, Bible. There was a Bible, I think, in. No, there's a, a book of Psalms in Slovak and um, the Bible in, um, I think I had a, 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 a Greek text of the Bible. I, I think I had the Bible in Greek. And um, these um, didn't look terribly like contraband, so they, they, they got, through the, uh, got through the customs. And then I was able to give him the, uh, the, the, um, the works of Seneca and the... Uh, to talk about the works of Seneca and give him the um, the, the Bible and the uh, Book of Psalms, and um, that the the, the the hour then was up and he went back. And, and but what about your motivation? That um, why did you feel that this was because not everyone in in Oxford and not everyone in Western universities felt that this was such a priority. But why did you feel it was important for you and? some of the, the college you were connected to, part of, and the university to support academics in, in Poland and the Czech, Czechoslovakia as it then was? Um, well, uh, it, it, I, I think it was um, that they were people um, 
being persecuted and in great need. I, I think I, I mean, it, did, it didn't seem to be anything um, very, very special. It was something quite obvious. That, um, and um, what I now re remember was um, that I discovered that the, uh, there was much more of a, uh, of a <coughs> network because um, they were having some people brought in um, officially and um, uh, when I got, got to Prague um, that it, they, they then had discovered um, who had been um, my arrival was already known um, uh, on the sea underground network who also had got a record of um, the people who'd been in who'd been invited in officially and um, so I was just trying Okay, well, well maybe move on because we're getting towards the end of our uh, allocated time. And as well as being an academic, you had uh, your your opinions about some of the big companies and big business were not always positive, despite not being in favour of the Soviets. You didn't always like big companies, and you were in, you set up something called the Oxford Consumer Group. And could you just comment a bit about? That and what perhaps lessons there are to learn for for people thinking about what sort of businesses they want to want to run. So, w what was the Oxford Consumer Group, and what was your famous battle with the car industry? Well, this was um, I um, met a, 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 a man from New Zealand, another academic, and. Um, um, had him just sort of met him and asked him. Uh, he just bought a car, and it was what they describe as a lemon. I think there were, there were ones made on Friday afternoon, and everything had gone wrong. And he tried to get some satisfaction, and was um, found that in ordering the car, he'd signed away all his rights. Um, that uh, he, the the order form included a phrase which. Um, abolished all his rights in the common law and um, statutory law and so on. This will be quite familiar to listeners if you look at the the small print of software licences. Often there are very, very few guarantees of quality, although the, the market at some level um, punishes people who make bad bad software. The, 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 the idea of a, a purchase contract in which you waive a lot of your rights is one that hasn't, it's not a battle that's been won. Well, I then um, I wrote um, one or two letters and again got put off. So then I um, I I got I did uh, this was a company I'd been uh, I'd had an inheritance which got me twenty five pounds worth of shares, uh, which was in that day I mean not negligible, nothing nothing big, pretty small. But on the strength of that, I went to the um, uh, the uh, annual general meeting. And um, when it came to adopting the reports, I stood up and made an objection. And what was very interesting was that I, as soon as I said that I was an Oxford Don, there was quite a lot of cheers and um, I got a, 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 quite a lot of support that it showed, in a sense, this was a good thing. And I, I was able to hold the attention of the, uh, while I raised this and pointed out that it was extremely bad uh, uh, bad practice actually that we might um, save ourselves some uh, money at the cost of losing far more in the way of customer goodwill and I was able to phrase this in quite the right way and later there's a letter in the Times which um, raised the question how was it 
how is it that one oxodon in one ox with one afternoon can do more for the motorist than the AA and the RAC have been able to achieve in ten years, and uh, that was um, I think it was in fact a watershed. We were able to um, um, change, uh, uh, get an act of parliament through, which um, more or less outlawed these, uh, these um, extreme um, clauses. And um, I, I, after that, I had a lot to do with the uh, the Oxford Consumer Group. I started and uh, was for a time their chairman and um, had a, 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 a quite a, a, a took quite a lot of um, time and effort but was extremely worthwhile and did uh, i think did alter the whole climate of uh, of english commercial life yes no, although i mean many uh, google as a company is quite well known in in Krakow for many years was a a supporter of the startup community. Just yesterday's news is that they were fined over two billion two billion pounds, so over two billion euros for abusing their monopoly position. And I think the the idea that what well, not the idea, the reality that some companies have become extremely powerful suggests that there needs to be there need to be quite strong governments to stand up to them. So, so there need to be governments as strong as companies to keep them in check on on behalf of consumers. Sometimes, that's a question. I don't know. Oh, sorry. I, I, yes. Yeah. I, I was. Do, do Do you think we we need to have strong government to keep strong, very powerful companies in check? Well, the government, the government has a duty to um, support, and this was very much the case in the Middle Ages when the um, king very, uh, very much um, provided some support for the uh, for all his subjects against the uh, barons who were sort of um, trying to carve up the, uh, the, the all the money for themselves. And um, it's very important. You need to. Uh, it's, the most obvious thing is that it's always been a function of the uh, government to provide honest weights and measures, and um, on, then uh, then honest money. And there's been a whole succession of rules that we've now got about um, takeover bids and things like that, and what, and the, what, 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 what you uh, may do and what you um, um, mustn't do um, in um, uh, flexing uh, uh, your uh, shareholder power. Um, if you have a large number of shares um, and you want to do something, you've got to be prepared to buy out the other shareholders at, um, at the previous market price. Uh, and this is a, a very necessary um, part of what the government should do. And it's um, although I, I think it's a good thing for governments not to try to do too much, I'm very much against this one line of modern thought of the completely minimalist view of the uh, government. Um, on the contrary, it does have responsibilities just by being there and being the one, uh, the one effective agent, and um, they can see a whole progression of uh, duties of the government of a non-minimalist kind. Thank you. Well, I, and just just to wrap this up, if if someone listening to this and they they don't know they don't know um, much about what they want to do with their future, uh, if you're giving advice to a say a, 
a, a 10 or 15 or 20 year old about what sort of things they should do with their lives what what what, what do you think the most important advice to give someone listening who's just re- recognizes that an 88 year old re- retired oxford don must have seen a lot of things and seen a lot of different types of people over the years what what do you think the most important things for people to to bear in mind as they decide how to spend their time and what to do first of all to um give your t- to experiment and to try uh, in gap years and other things and and have a number of different irons in the fire so that you've got a feel for all sorts of things. The um, second one, I think, is that you uh, want to feel, you want to find something that you feel is worth doing and which you can do and you can do well and find what you can do well and try and do it. And the third thing is that um, the the, the personal relations are um, the most important ones and you want to leave, uh, you, you want to have, um, it's very often in family, but sometimes it's in friends and um, so on, but um, to have a, a life that is um, personally um, fulfilling. I think those would be the three things I'd say. Well, I, I think that's a, a very good uh, note on which to end. It is an un, un, unusual podcast with a family member, um, but nonetheless, I hope it's been of interest to our listeners around the world. So I'd just like to end by thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectcashmere.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode, and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectcashmere.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But, but the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your, your your creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community, and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger, 